Chapter Seven C of the Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Berard. The Shake by E. M. Hull. Chapter Seven C. They were seen by three of the southern patrols this morning, but of course it was nobody's business to find out if they had come back or not. I will start at once, in about ten minutes. You will come with me? Good. I have sent for reinforcements, who are to follow us if we are not back in twelve hours. His voice was expressionless, and only Raoul de Saint-Hubert, who had known him since boyhood, could and did appreciate the significance of a fleeting look that crossed his face as he went back into his tent. For a moment the Vicomte hesitated, but he knew that not even he was wanted inside that empty tent, and a half-bitter, half-sad feeling that the perfect friendship and confidence that had existed between them for twenty years would never again be the same came to them the regretful sense of inevitable change the consciousness of personal relegation then fear for diana drove out every other consideration and he went to his own quarters with a heavy heart when he came back in a few minutes with henri following him the camp had undergone a transformation with the promptness of perfect discipline the hundred men who had been chosen to go on the expedition were already waiting each man standing by his horse and the sheik quiet and impassive as usual was superintending the distribution of extra ammunition a groom was walking the hawk slowly up and down and yusuf whose gloomy eyes had been fixed reproachfully on his chief chafing against the order to remain behind to take command of the reinforcements should they be needed, went to him, and took the horse's bridle from him, and brought him to the shake. Even as he held the stirrup, Saint-Hubert could see that he was expostulating with an unusual insistence, begging for permission to accompany them. But the shake shook his head, and the young man stood sullenly aside to avoid the hawk's hoofs as he reared impatiently. Ahmed ben Hassan motioned Saint-Hubert to his side, and in silence the cavalcade started at the usual swift gallop the silence impressed raoul who was accustomed to the arab's usual clamour it affected his sensitive temperaments filling him with a sinister foreboding the silent band of stern-faced horsemen riding in close and orderly formation behind them suggested something more than a mere relief party the tradition of reckless courage and organized fighting efficiency that had made the tribe known and feared for generations had been always maintained and under the leadership of the last two holders of the hereditary name to so high a degree that the respect in which it was held was such that no other tribe had ventured to dispute its supremacy and for many years its serious fighting capacities had not been tested even ibrahim omer had inherited a feud that was largely traditional only once during the lifetime of the last ahmed ben hassan had he dared to come into open conflict and the memory of it had lasted until now skirmishes there had been and would always be inevitably sufficient to keep the tribesmen in a state of perpetual expectancy and for this ahmed ben hassan preserved the rigid discipline that prevailed in his tribe, insisting on the high standard that had kept them famous. 
The life work that his predecessor had taken over from his father, the present Ahmed ben Hassan had carried on and developed with autocratic perseverance. The inborn love of fighting had been carefully fostered in the tribe. The weapons with which they were armed were of the newest pattern. Raoul knew with perfect certainty that to the picked men following them this hasty expedition meant only one thing, war, the war that they had looked forward to all their lives. Precipitated now by an accident that gave to a handful of them the chance that hundreds of their fellow tribesmen were longing for, a chance that sent them joyfully behind their chief, careless whether the reinforcements that had been sent for arrived in time or not. The smallness of their numbers was a source of pleasure rather than otherwise. If they won through to them would be the glory of victory. If they were annihilated with them would rest the honor of dying with the leader whom they worshipped, for not one of them doubted that Ahmed ben Hassan would not survive his bodyguard, the flower of his tribe, the carefully chosen men from whose ranks his personal escort was always drawn. With them he would crush his hereditary enemy, or with them he would die. The short twilight had gone, and a brilliant moon shone high in the heavens, illuminating the surrounding country with a clear white light. At any other time the beauty of the scene, the glamour of the eastern night, the headlong gallop in company with his band of fierce fighting men, would have stirred Saint-Hubert profoundly. His artistic temperament and his own absolute fearlessness and love of adventure would have combined to make the expedition an exciting experience that he would not willingly have forgone. But the reason for it all, the peril of the girl whom he loved so unexpectedly, changed the whole color of the affair, tinging it with a gravity and a suspense that left a cold fear in his heart. And if to him, what then to the man beside him? The question that Ahmed ben Hassan had negated so scornfully a week before had been answered differently in the swift look that had crossed his face this evening. He had not spoken since they started, and Saint-Hubert had not felt able to break the silence. They had left the level country and were in amongst the long, successive ranges of undulating ground, the summits standing out silver-white in the gleaming moonlight, the hollows filled with dark shadow black pools of deep, still water, and at the bottom of one of the slopes the shake pulled up suddenly with a low, hissing exclamation. A white shape was lying face downwards, spread-eagled on the sand, almost under the hawk's feet, and at their approach two lean, slinking forms cantered away into the night. The shake and Henri reached the still figure simultaneously, and Saint-Hubert almost as quickly. He made a hurried examination. The bullet that had stunned Gaston had glanced off, leaving an ugly cut, and others that had hit him at the same time had ploughed through his shoulder, breaking the bone and causing besides wounds that had bled freely. He had staggered more than a mile before he had fainted again from loss of blood. He came to under Saint-Hubert's handling, and lifted his heavy eyes to the sheikh, who was kneeling beside him. Monsieur, Madame, Ibrahim Omer he whispered weakly, and relapsed into unconsciousness. For a moment the sheikh's eyes met Raoul's across his body, and then Ahmed ben Hassan rose to his feet. "'Be as quick as you can,' he said, 
and went back to his horse. He leaned against the hawk, his fingers mechanically searching for and lighting a cigarette, his eyes fixed unseeingly on the group around Gaston. The valet's broken words had confirmed the fear that he had striven to crush since he discovered Diana's absence. He had only seen Ibrahim Omar once, when, ten years before, he had gone with the elder Ahmed ben Hassan to a meeting of the more powerful chiefs at Algiers, arranged under the auspices of the French government to confer on a complicated boundary question that had threatened an upheaval amongst the tribes which the nominal protectors of the country were afraid would be prejudicial to their own prestige, as it would have been beyond their power to quell. He had chafed at having to meet his hereditary enemy on equal terms, and only the restraining influence of the old sheikh, who exacted an unquestioning obedience that extended even to his heir, had prevented a catastrophe that might have nullified the meeting and caused infinitely more complications than the original boundary dispute but the memory of the robber sheik remained with him always and the recollection of his bloated vicious face and gross unwieldy body rose clearly before him now ibrahim omer and the slender daintiness that he had prized so lightly diane his teeth met through the cigarette in his mouth his senseless jealousy and the rage provoked by Raoul's outspoken criticism, had recoiled on the innocent cause. She, not Saint-Hubert, had felt the brunt of his anger. In the innate cruelty of his nature, it had given him a subtle pleasure to watch the bewilderment, alternating with flickering fear, that had come back into the deep blue eyes that for two months had looked into his with frank confidence. He had made her acutely conscious of his displeasure. Only last night, when his lack of consideration and his unwanted irritability had made her wince several times during the evening, and after Saint-Hubert had gone to his own tent, he had looked up to find her eyes fixed on him with an expression that, in his dangerous mood, had excited all the brutality of which he was capable, and had filled him with a desire to torture her. The dumb reproach in her eyes had exasperated him rousing the fiendish temper that had been hardly kept in check all the previous week. And yet, when he held her helpless in his arms, quivering and shrinking from the embrace that was no caress, but merely the medium of his anger, and the reproach in her wavering eyes changed to mute entreaty, the pleasure he had anticipated in her fear had failed him, as it had before, and had irritated him further. The wild beating of her heart, the sobbing intake of her breath, the knowledge of his power over her, gave him no gratification, and he had flung her from him, cursing her savagely, till she had fled into the other room with her hands over her ears to shut out the sound of his slow, deliberate voice. And this morning he had left her without a sign of any kind, no word or gesture that might have effaced the memory of the previous night. He had not meant to. He had intended to go back to her before he finally rode away, but Saint-Hubert's refusal to accompany him had killed the softer feelings that prompted him, and his rage had flamed up again. And now? The longing to hold her in his arms, to kiss the tears from her eyes and the color into her pale lips, was almost unbearable. He would give his life to keep even a shadow from her path, 
and she was in the hands of Ibrahim Omer. The thought and all that it implied was torture, but no sign escaped him of the hell he was enduring. The unavoidable delay seemed interminable, and he swung into the saddle, hoping that the waiting would seem less, with the hawk's restless, nervous body gripped between his knees, for though the horse would stand quietly with his master beside him, he fretted continually at waiting. Once the shake was mounted, and the necessity for soothing him was preferable to complete inaction. Saint-Hubert rose to his feet at last, and, leaving behind Henri and two Arabs, who were detailed to take the wounded man back to the camp, the swift gallop southward was resumed. On, over the rising and falling ground along which Gaston had stumbled, blind and faint, with loss of blood and the pain of his wounds, past the dead body of the dancer, ghostly white in the moonlight, lying a little apart from the semicircle of Arabs that proved their efficiency of Gaston's shooting, where Diana and he had made their last stand. The sheikh made no sign, and did not check the headlong gallop, but continued on, the hawk taking the fallen bodies that lay in his path in his stride, with only a quiver of repugnance and a snort of disgust. Still on, past the huddled bundles of tumbled draperies that marked the way significantly, avoiding them where the moonlight illuminated brightly, and riding over them in the deep hollows, where once Raoul's horse stumbled badly and nearly fell, recovering himself with a wild scramble, and the Vicomte heard the dead man's skull crack under the horse's slipping hoof. The distant howling of jackals came closer and closer, until, topping one long rise and descending into a hollow that was long enough and wide enough to be fully lit by the moon, they came to the place where the ambush had been laid. Instinctively, Ahmed ben Hassan knew that amongst the jostling heaps of corpses and dead horses lay the bodies of his own men. Perhaps amongst the still forms from which the jackals, whose hideous yelling they had heard, had slunk away, there might be one left with life enough to give some news. One of his own men, who would speak willingly, or one of Ibrahim Omer's, who would be made to speak. His lips curled back from his white teeth in a grin of pure cruelty. The silence that had prevailed amongst his men broke suddenly as they searched quickly among the dead. The sheikh waited impassively, silent amidst the cluttered imprecations and threats of vengeance of his followers as they laid beside him the six remains of what had been Diana's escort, slashed and mutilated almost beyond recognition. But it was he who noticed that the last terrible figure stirred slightly as it was laid down, and it was into his face, grown suddenly strangely gentle, that the dying Arab looked with fast-filming eyes. The man smiled, the happy smile of a child who had obtained an unexpected reward, and raised his hand painfully in salute, then pointed mutely to the south. The sheikh caught his follower's nerveless fingers as they fell in his own strong grasp, and with a last effort the Arab drew his chief's hand to his forehead and fell back, dead. End of section 20 Chapter 7 C